This morning, we're turning our attention to the discipline of worship. It's important that we look at this discipline because as we look in the Bible, it's one of the central things that we should focus on as believers. God is actively seeking worshipers. Jesus said in John 4, 23, he says, but the hour is coming and it is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeks as these to worship him. You know, we see throughout the scriptures time and time again, examples of God's effort to initiate, restore, maintain fellowship. We see that right from the beginning when God is walking in the garden, pursuing Adam and Eve. So if it's God who initiates, seeks and draws and persuades us, then worship, our worship is a human response to a divine initiative. Worship is really responding to the overtures of the love of the Father, isn't it? As we gather together in a community, it's really kindled within us when the Spirit touches our spirit. And that's key for us to understand as we move throughout this. It's, it's kindled within us when the Spirit touches our spirit. We can have all the best praise band, and I might be biased, but I think we have the best praise band. We can have all the great music, all the fantastic lighting. We can have the smoke. We can have the best instruments, the best liturgy, the best prayers. But we have not worshiped the Lord until the spirit touches our spirit. That's when it becomes worship. Singing and praising may lead to worship, but worship is much more than all of these. As a result, churches over the many of the years have questioned what type of worship is best. Some of us will wrestle with that as well. What is the best type of worship? Is it a contemporary worship? Is it a traditional worship? Is it high liturgy? Is it low liturgy? What is the correct form of churches? People throughout the church, throughout the years have been uh, talking about this and discussing this at length. I've been blessed to be a part of a a number of of different styles of worship uh, throughout my life traditional, some contemporary, orchestras, choirs, all the different stuff, praise bands. In fact, my last church, I was blessed to be in a church where I was the senior and executive pastor of a church that had two forms of worship, two styles of worship. At the 9 a.m., I would go and preach to the contemporary worship service. We had the praise band, we had the lights, we had the smoke, we had special effects, we had, I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And then as soon as the service was over, I would go backstage, I'd go downstairs, I'd walk through the children's ministry, come up the backstage of our traditional sanctuary service, I would put on a full white robe, I would put on a prayer stall with the colors reflected of the season that we were in, so if it was Pentecost, it would be red, if it was Easter, it was purple. I'd walk out to a 40-person choir, a 20-person orchestra, and we would sing hymns. We would have calls and responses. Then at the end of that service, I would go backstage, I would take off the robe, I would take off the prayer stall, I would go back into my jeans and t-shirt and go back over to the contemporary service and preach again uh, later in the day. I was more tired, I think, changing than I was preaching. But it was wonderful to be able to preach and be part of different forms of worship where the people were still worshiping though. It didn't matter what style it was, people were worshiping. 
and it was just as authentic. Is there a right way to worship? No, there's not. But most of us will have in our minds a certain way to worship. In fact, when we think of the discipline of worship, we will think, yes, I am, I'm good with that. I, I worship well. I worship, I, I sing well. I sing loud. Some of us might need some discipline in how loud we sing, but we have that down. But worship is much more than just music. There is nothing in the New Testament that describes how worship is to go about whether or not you should have an organ, whether or not you shouldn't have an organ, whether or not it should be praise bands or hymns. It doesn't say how many songs should be sung. It doesn't say how many beats per minute or how many times the chorus should be looped, right? But for years, people in church have fought over this, the idea of that it's a certain style, a certain way. See, when the Spirit touches our spirit, form becomes irrelevant. When the Spirit touches our spirit, form becomes irrelevant. Understand this. Music and liturgy can assist or express a worshiping heart, but they can't give a non-worshiping heart into a worshiping one. Here's the danger. Often music can give a non-worshiping heart the sense that they have worshiped. So crucial in the factor of worship is not in the church, is not the form of worship, but the hearts of those in the church. As we're going to see, corporate worship is really an expression of our individual lives throughout the week. If we think that we can live however we want throughout the week and then come into church on Sunday mornings for corporate worship and turn it on and sing, we're always going to walk away from our corporate worship on Sunday mornings feeling like we didn't connect with the worship. What happens to folks all the time as they feel like that style or form of worship in a church isn't for them and that they didn't connect. So what they'll do is they'll look for a new place of worship and they'll hop and they'll jump and they'll skip to church, to church, to church because they don't fully understand the right discipline of worship. You see, once we understand the right discipline of worship, then it brings a whole new depth to our spiritual understanding, our spiritual growth. And it won't matter what songs we're singing, as long as those songs are directed to our Heavenly Father. In other words, it's not how we worship, but why and what we worship that is so crucial. This is the discipline that we're to develop. To do this, in order to understand this discipline of worship, we need to understand four principles. Follow me with this. To have the discipline in worship, we first must recognize the person that we are to worship. To have discipline in worship means first we must recognize the person that we worship. This is the one I want to spend a little bit more time on because it's, it's crucial to our understanding of the discipline of worship. Now, I think most people would say and understand those in this room right now, those watching would understand that, yes, we're here to worship God. People will get that. People wouldn't probably argue with that. But don't miss this. I think oftentimes in the church, individual believers often end up worshiping the music. See, music is the, is the vehicle that stirs the emotion. But music itself is not worship. Music prepares the heart for worship, but it's not worship itself. 
I had learned this lesson many, many years ago. I remember being in church service and there was a, a song that was being sung by a, a praise band that I really liked. And I remember, I love the melody. I love the harmony. I love the beats. And I remember kind of getting that goose tingling feeling. If you've ever had that, where you kind of like feel real good and you get like goosebumps, you're like, this is it, right? The spirit is, must be touching me today, right? It wasn't until I was in my car a few weeks later that I was listening to a secular song on the radio and I love the music and I love the melody. I love the harmony. And I had that same kind of tingly feeling. And I thought, well, wait a second. This isn't a worship song. The spirit's not touching me here. So I wonder if I was actually worshiping and loving more the music than actually the songs that we were singing, the person to whom we were worshiping. See, music is the protocol that prepares the heart. I love how our praise and worship team prepares the hearts and sets the stage for the encounters with God. They spend time and prayer talking about what songs we should sing that prepare us to hear the voice of God, which lead to worship. But we need to make sure that we focus on the person that we worship and not the music itself. Now, hear this too. One of the things I want to make sure we understand too is that there's a clear difference between praise and worship. We'll often use those kind of together. We'll gather for our time of praise and worship. But there's, there's a difference between praise and worship. In the, throughout the Bible, the Bible's full of examples of how we are to praise God with shouting, with singing, with dance, with musical instruments. Praise is a, a, a joyful recounting of all that God has done for us. It's intertwined with thanksgiving. We offer appreciation back to God for what he's done, works in our behalf. We can praise other people too. We can praise our, our families, our friends, our sports teams. If we're trying to suck up, we praise our bosses as well, right? Praise does not require anything of us. I can praise my, my kids for what they do. In fact, when my daughter was much younger, I coached her soccer team. And I remember praising the girls for how well they're doing, even though we were losing by 30 points every game, right? You're doing a great job. It's the acknowledgments of the acts of somebody. Worship, however, goes deeper. Worship comes from a different place within our spirits. Worship should be reserved for God alone. Worship is the art of losing ourselves in the adoration of another. Praise can be part of worship, but worship goes far beyond praise. Praise is easy. Worship is not. I praised our goalie for how well she's doing. I definitely wasn't worshiping her for all the goals she let in. I praised her for being in there and holding her head up high. Praise is easy. Worship is not. Praise brings us into worship. It provides a medium of the expression of emotion. There's no less than 41 psalms that command us to sing unto the Lord. I love the book by David Edwards. Uh, it's called Worship 365. He says this, When we praise God, we are ringing the doorbell, making our presence known, letting him know that we've come to see him, and our praise is a thank you that refuses to be silenced. When he hears our praise, he gets up to open the door and invites us to come in. When we go inside, we move from praise to worship. And in other words, praise is the vehicle into God's presence. Worship is what we do once we get there. You see, worship gets to the heart of who we are. To truly worship the person of God, we must let go of things that make us feel good, like the music itself. 
We must be willing to humble ourselves to God, surrender every part of ourselves to God and his control, and remember all the wonderful things he's done for us. Give him praise, which leads to worship. We just read Psalm 100. Fantastic passage when it comes to worship. It says in Psalm 102, it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that never left you and he never will. He's never forsaken you. He's never, he's remained faithful. It's what's amazing is that when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. We celebrate with the psalmist in that, don't we? That he is God, that he made us. David, when, you know, you think about this Psalm of Psalm 100, make a joyful noise, praise the Lord, worshiping with gladness. David was going through all kinds of traumatic things in his life, wasn't he? He was going through turmoil after turmoil after conflict after problem. But yet he still writes Psalm 100. There was a sin with Bathsheba. There was a a situation where he had her husband killed. He had his son try to turn on him. He was in hiding for years. His own son tried to turn on him. All kinds of turmoil, wars and everything. But still he writes these Psalms. He writes, sing to the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Don't miss this. The same emotion that filled the heart and mind of the psalmist as he wrote Psalm 100 flowed out of the truth about who God is, the person that he is, his character, his attributes. It's thanksgiving to him. It's the same joy and thanksgiving that we can offer here today. Because his faithfulness extends through all generations. There will be times when we do not feel like worshiping. There will be things going not so well in life. Some of you may be dealing with that here today. Where you come in and your mind is flooded with all the the issues or the problems or the trials of life and you just don't feel like worshiping. Worship is not about how we feel. Worship is a discipline that we have to focus on and work on. It's like exercise. When I go to exercise, lifting weights, or get on the elliptical, I tell my family, I'm going to go work out, right? I don't say I'm going to go relax out, or I'm going to go joyful out, because there's no joy in that at all for me. But I know I need to. It's a discipline we work at, because it's something we need to do. That's exactly what worship is. It's not about how we feel. It's not about coming in saying, as long as everything's good in life, I'm going to come into my corporate worship and I'm going to praise God because of how I feel. It's because he's asked us to do that. Because of what he's done for us, his faithfulness is why we praise him. Many years ago, I was visiting a gentleman in the hospital, one of our church members, and he was battling stage four cancer. And I remember asking how he was doing. He said, well, I just had a, a, a scan and they, the doctor said I, was, I lit up like a Christmas tree, which is probably not what you want to hear. The doctor went on to tell him it was the worst case of tumors he's ever seen. Also something you don't want to hear. I said, how are you doing? I said, well, Jared, every morning, as hard as it is, I get up and the first thing I do is I praise God for what he's done. 
and who he is. I praise him for what he's done for me. Boy, that's discipline. To be able to get up knowing that you have this terminal disease and be able to praise God, that's discipline. Because of who God is. See, when we worship, we're responding to God because he's the person of worship. And we, when we come to grips with the person of worship, we can then recognize the priority of our worship. When we understand the person of worship, we, it then transforms us to understanding the priority in our worship. If God's the person that we worship, we must have this priority at all times in our life, not just on Sundays for corporate worship. The first commandment of Jesus is this in Mark 12, verse 30. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Our lives are to be full of thanksgiving and adoration. Service flows out of worship. Worship the Lord with gladness, we already read. It should be a, a work that we do. It's interesting when you read Psalm 100, other translations uh, for verse 2 of Psalm 100 say, serve the Lord with gladness. So is it worship the Lord with gladness or serve the Lord with gladness? In the Hebrew, that word is ahaved, which means to be compelled to work or to serve. So which is it, work or worship? I want you to consider something. It's both. Our work is our worship, and our worship is the most fundamental part of our work. Worship is not confined to our corporate worship on Sundays. It takes place in the, the mechanics room in the garage on Monday morning. Worship takes place in the surgeon's operating room on Tuesday afternoon. It takes place in the teacher's classroom on, on Wednesday at lunch. Worship is to take place on the showroom floor on Thursday night. Worship is to take place as, as you pound the rooftops on Friday morning. Regardless of the kind of work that you do, we are to do it as an expression of worship. That's why Colossians 3.23, when, when Paul was talking, he says, whatever your task, put yourselves unto it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. The discipline of worship. The discipline of worship is to permeate every fabric of our lives. If we're accustomed to carrying out our, our business of lies and human strength and wisdom, we'll do the same when we come together in corporate worship. However, if we cultivate an attitude throughout the week where every conversation, every business transaction, every interaction we have with those around us is centered around worship of our Father, then that same compulsion, that same prompting, that same sensitivity will flow into our corporate worship as well. You know, I've, I've talked to uh, many people over the years and a lot of folks will, will comment on Sunday service. They'll say, you know, Pastor, that was a great service, uh, great worship, or, or it, was a, it was a great uh, message, or I like the sermon series, or whatever they'll say. But some people will say, you know what, uh, and, I, and I've had this. Well, they'll come in, they'll say, you know what, I really like the, the sermon, or I like certain aspects of the service, but I didn't like the, the songs that you picked on Sunday. Those three songs didn't really, didn't really hit me. Could we... Could we sing different songs? So I always say, yes, I'll, I'll let the worship pastor know well, what your thoughts are there as we, uh, as we move forward. But let me tell you this. If your life throughout the week isn't a focus on God, worshiping him in all aspects, then to try to come in on Sunday mornings and then try to turn that on automatically, you're always going to feel like you're not connecting with worship. You want a surefire way of connecting with the worship and the service that you're at in corporate worship? It starts on Monday. It starts throughout the week. Because as we understand the person, 
We understand the priority that he has in our life, and then we can do it throughout the week. And once we understand the priority throughout the week, then we gather on Sunday mornings and we have a right understanding of the preparation for worship. We recognize the preparation for our worship. So we're all throughout the week, he becomes our priority. And we come into corporate worship and we have a preparation. You know, what's, uh, what I love about the Bible is that when people gathered, they gathered to worship God with what they call a holy expectancy. They believed that they would hear the voice of God. When Moses went into the, the tabernacle, he knew that he was entering the presence of God. The same was true for the early church. It was not surprising that then when they were singing, the building shook. That people were, were dropping dead and then being raised back to life. Because they knew that they were in the presence of God. Wouldn't it be great to have a, a church, to have that mindset coming into worship, that, that we have that holy expectancy? I think if our building shook, we'd all think, what's wrong with the building, right? What needs fixed? But wouldn't it be wonderful to come in with that holy expectancy, knowing that God was going to speak to us? I love what Matthew 18 20 says, when it comes to our corporate worship together, it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Isn't that wonderful to know? Isn't that wonderful to know that God's with us here, that we can be gathered together as part of a community, that we can, that we can sing and expect that great things are going to happen. The epistles frequently talked about the believers as a community, as a body of Christ. As the, as the human life is unthinkable without a head, so it's unthinkable for Christians to, to live in isolation from one another. You know, I always wondered what it would be like if we lived in isolation from one another, and then this past year happened, didn't it? And we all figured out what it's like to be in isolation with one another. And for some of us, we realize it's a lot harder than we realize. Being in isolation is hard. Being alone is hard. Because we're not meant to be in isolation with one another. We're meant to be in community. It's so wonderful to be able to gather and worship together. To be able to come on Sundays and, and worship in a corporate way. It was Martin Luther who said, At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church... When the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a church where the worship is so powerful that we see miracles happening and it's possible. Both inward and outward, we can see because we are in the midst of God. And we should expect that when we come in to a corporate worship together. As we prepare for worship by being together in holy expectancy, realizing that he's in our midst, we believe that miracles can happen. That when we read uh, things like in Acts chapter 2 or Acts 4, where all these miracles are happening, that it's not just something we're reading about. It's something that we can experience ourselves. We have that right preparation. When we have that right priority, when we're worshiping the right person, we come into worship corporately, we recognize we have a different posture of our worship as well. We have a different posture. He's alive and present. You know, when we're standing in front of our Father who's here with us, oftentimes we'll have those faces when we're singing of like dread. 
Sometimes I'm happy that we have masks on because maybe we can't see the, the frowns on our faces. But isn't it a wonderful joy to be in the presence of God, to be able to sing? Recounting all the wonderful things he's done for us. It should give us a different posture when it comes to worship. A different posture. Miracles should be happening. Healings can happen. See, God calls for worship that's not just our daily lives, but our whole being, our body, our minds, our emotions are all laid on the altar of worship. The Bible describes worship in the physical. Actually, the root word for worship is to to prostrate, to to fall prostrate on our knees. You see, through Scripture, we find a a variety of ways that we are, are connected to worship. Standing or kneeling or lifting up our hands, clapping bowing our head, dancing, wearing sackcloth and ashes. Wouldn't that be wonderful some Sunday? If we had a, a, a sackcloth and ashes Sunday where we all wore. The point is, is that we are to offer our worship back with our whole being. Worship is, is also very physical. It's not just mental. It's not just emotional. It's also physical. You see, in Scripture, when it talks about praise, it talks about being joyful, uninhibited. God invites us to praise in all, in all forms of his creation. But when the Bible mentions worship, the tone changes. We see in verses like Psalm 96, 9, where it says, Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Or Psalm 95, 6 Where it says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You see, often worship is coupled with the idea of bowing or kneeling, raising our hands. Why would we do that? Because it shows humility. Because if we truly are worshiping God, everything he's done for us, if we truly are putting our lives back in his hands, understand that he has a plan and a purpose for us, that he's created us in such a way to be here, to worship him, then as we lift our hands, we're showing an act of humility. True worship invites the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us, to convict us, to comfort us. Through worship, we realign our priorities with God and acknowledge him once as the rightful Lord in our lives. You know, when we do, we worship correctly. It's the Lord who often brings us to confession. I love the story of Isaiah when Isaiah was saw the sight of God. He cried out, woe is me of a man of unclean lips. Why? Because when we understand his grace, we recognize our own guilt. His goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his sacrifice on the cross for us. When, because of this, we praise God for who he is and what he's done. And then we understand that everything we have, all that we are because of him, and so that we only can fall kneeling before him as our maker, as our Lord. You know, we're quick to say, well, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm not going to clap because I'm not an emotional type, right? That's for the other people to do that. Or we'll look around and we'll say, well, at least I'm not dancing the aisles like that person, right? Because we'll say, that's not going to meet my need. The big question when it comes to worship, it's not what's going to meet my need, but what kind of worship does God call for? And God calls for worship that's often physical. Often our reserved temperament is a little more of fear of what others will think of us or perhaps an unwillingness to humble ourselves before God. Of course, people have different temperaments, but that never should stop us from worshiping with our whole being. So if you feel like clapping, clap. 
If you feel like raising your hands, raise your hands. It's all an act of humility, and God's calls for worship that's also physical. So once we understand the person that we worship, we realize the priority of our worship. We come to corporate worship with the right preparation. We understand a different posture of our worship. When we do this, we develop the discipline of worship. And here's the last point. We then recognize the product of our worship. We recognize the product. Here's the key. You want to know how you've developed the discipline of worship? It's a changed life. It's not walking away from Sunday feeling, well, that was great. I feel all tingly and I feel really good. No, worship, the result of worship is a changed life. If worship doesn't change us, it's not worship. To stand before God, the Holy One, is to change. Throughout the Bible, men and women stood before God and they were radically changed. So do we. See, if worship doesn't propel us into obedience, it hasn't been worship. We come Sunday corporately worshiping, knowing that he's been the priority throughout the week. We understand he's the person, and then it goes right back into Mondays where we're following after him. Just as worship began with a holy expectancy, it ends with a holy obedience. Holy obedience saves worship from becoming just an escape on Sunday mornings from the pressing needs of life. Worship enables us to hear the call of God and serve him as we respond. You know, in closing, we're, we've been looking at the book, The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. We've been going through these various disciplines. And in that book, there was a great quote by Willard Sperry, who really sums up what worship is all about. It says this, Worship is a deliberate and a disciplined adventure into reality. It's not for the timid or the comfortable. It involves an opening up of ourselves to the dangerous life of the spirit. It makes all the religious paraphernalia of temples and priests and rites and ceremonies irrelevant. It involves a willingness to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, with all gratitude, in our hearts, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual psalms to God. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you describe so clearly what it looks like for us to worship. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can come and gather for a corporate time of worship. We thank you that we can sing praises to you because of what you've done. Lord, allow us to move from praise to worship to put you as a priority in our life throughout the week. Lord, I ask that you be with each and every person here. Lord, no matter what their profession is, what their job is, or what they're doing throughout the week, Lord, I, I pray that, that you become their priority, that everything that they do, all the work that they do throughout the week will be an expression of worship to you. Help them be a light to those around them. Lord, help them to constantly keep you at the forefront. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that your faithfulness extends to all generations. Lord, I pray that we can express that as we come together in a time of worship, that we move from praise to worship, that we put you first. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. Be with us now as we continue singing to you, singing your praises and worshiping you. We ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.